Welcome to Step Into the Story. Incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Well, welcome to the very first episode of Step Into the Story. When we decided to launch this, and I started thinking about who I would want as a guest, the first person that popped into my mind is today's guest. We've known each other for quite a while, and um, his story is compelling. So Frank Tanana, welcome to the broadcast. Well, Phil, thanks, glad to be here with you. Uh, For those of you who don't know Frank, uh, Frank had a long career in the major leagues. He actually um, was in the majors from 1973 to 1993. Six different teams uh, brought up by the Angels after a couple years in the minors, then the Red Sox, then the Rangers, another long stint with the Tigers, and then finished his career with the Mets and the Yankees. And um, Frank, the the first question or just an observation really is, uh, my daughter and I love to watch baseball together. And we were watching the other day and one of the players hit his 10th year in the majors. And that's when you're fully vested in the pension and things like that. And there's a big celebration in the clubhouse. And the shocking stat that they gave that day was that only 6% of major leaguers stay in the league for 10 years. And that just puts a whole different spin on the fact that you had a 21-year career in the majors. And I guess I'm very curious to know, what do you think was the key to your longevity? Well, you know, certainly staying healthy and for a pitcher, that that's huge. You know, we, we as pitchers experience sore arms all the time. But I think, um, you know, I was fortunate again, uh, to stay healthy. I was fortunate to be able to make the transition uh, for one from a power pitcher to a more control type uh, pitcher. I had some uh, wonderful coaches, um, you know, coming to Christ halfway through my career was uh, very instrumental in in my longevity. But I think um, all of those combination of things, Phil, really just lend to a uh, a long career plus. Um, I, I always, I ran a lot. I had very strong legs, and again, the legs just stayed healthy. And for an athlete, really, your legs are are just about everything. Yeah, when I was cramming and uh, doing some background research for this conversation, it's weird to look up somebody you've known for a long time on Wikipedia because there's parts I already knew, and then the other parts that were new to the story. I didn't realize that you were a multi-sport athlete and um, were contemplating going to Duke to play basketball. Is that an accurate, is that an accurate story? Yeah, it is, Bill. I had uh, been recruited by, you know, like over a hundred colleges. Uh, My first love was baseball, but I also was um, uh, very good at basketball. And I had committed to go to Duke University uh, on a basketball scholarship, uh, all these colleges agreed that, hey, if you come, you know, we'll let you play baseball too. But uh, I was recruited mostly for basketball and decided to go to Duke if um, pro baseball didn't turn out. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. So started in, you know, out with the Angels. Um, you and Nolan Ryan were a formidable one-two combination in the starting lineup. Um, that that must have been something. And as you said early on in your career, you were definitely a power pitcher. Um, how did you how did you make the shift to 
to show to throw junk and not just be a thrower but become a pitcher? Well, you know, the transition was um, very necessary because I again I had hurt my arm. I hurt my arm twice. Once when I first signed, and then once about four or five years, six years into my career, and. The thing that I had going for me, Phil, was the, my ability to throw strikes. I had good control. And so even when I lost the overpowering 95-plus fastball, I was still able to spot the ball on the inside corner, outside corner, up and down, and be able to keep hitters off balance. Although there was a year or so transition before mentally, I really got into it because I did want to want to throw hard, but my arm just wouldn't let me. So... That transition um, uh, occurred because of my ability really to throw, uh, to have good control and throw strikes. Wow. I read someplace that you threw in the 90s and the 70s, and then when it got to be the 1990s, you threw in the 70s and uh, to that. still be effective. <laughs> that's, a, that's a classic phrase, but oh, so true. Oh, so true. A couple of times I was clock throwing a curveball, if you can believe it, in the 40s and 50s. Man, wow! Yeah, the catcher, the catcher, fell through harder back to me than I threw to him, which really ticked off the batters. <laughs> so, a good long, long time with the Angels, and then um, you know, shorter stays with the Red Sox and Rangers, and then traded to Detroit to the Tigers. What was so special about being traded to Detroit? Well, having grown up in Detroit. And, and as a, a lover of baseball and, of course, a lover of the Tigers, my dream as a kid would be to have one day played with uh, on the Detroit Tigers team. We would go to the stadium in the old Tiger Stadium. Uh, my neighbor would take me a lot, and we'd sit in the front row of the upper deck, and it just hung right over the field practically. And so you can imagine the elation after, after the first feeling of rejection when the Rangers traded me to Detroit, but that rejection quickly turned to elation because they were the world champs for one thing the year before. So a very good ball club, but secondly, uh, to realize a, an actual dream of mine was going to come true that I, I was going to put on that English D uniform and play for the Detroit Tigers. Wow. Wow. I, I knew you grew up in Detroit and you and your dad used to go to games together. That's that's so cool that that dream came true for you. Um, if if you could relive any moment, I mean, 21 years is a long time and this is an unfair question. But if you could relive any moment in your major league career, which one would you pick? Well, that's pretty easy one. I, I had a lot of them, but this one stands above all the rest. Uh, it was the last game of the 1987 season playing for the Detroit Tigers. We were playing against the Toronto Blue Jays, and we had chased the Blue Jays that entire season. Uh, they were a very good team. Uh, we, of course, had a good team, but we had chased them. They were in first place practically the entire year. We caught them on the day before the, the second to last day of the season. And on this final day, we had a one-game lead. I was pitching against Jimmy Key, an outstanding left-handed pitcher for the Blue Jays. And I was able to pitch a nine-inning, one-nothing, uh, six-hit shutout against the Blue Jays to clinch the pennant, or clinch the division, I should say, for the Detroit Tigers. So 
that was, that was just a, a almost a surreal moment. Uh, national TV, fifty two thousand people in the stands. Um, I've never pitched in a World Series, but that's as close as it came. And if I could relive one, that that one was a very exciting and a fun moment. Yeah, there's some pretty huge pictures in Detroit Stadium of you right when you clinched, and uh, I that makes me believe you could have played for Duke because uh, your your air your air time was considerable. I've never seen you get that off that far uh, off the ground you, recently. I, I barely barely uh, yellow pages. I think you could put them in me, but uh. well, so um, success very much on the baseball field. Um, what was your life like during those early years of playing ball off the field? Um, I mean, what, where, where were you at as a person? Um, I was into me a lot. Um, it was my attitude was kind of like, it was my world and, you know, everybody was kind of just orbiting around me. Um, it's a, it's a heady thing when you're a, a good athlete at an early age and you're just getting praised and praised and praised. And I didn't have an anchor. And so my head was huge. My, my, my confidence, my cockiness. Um, I knew that I was a great athlete and, and I let people know it. I, I lived like it. So now I get to the big leagues and, um, you know, try to try to act like a big leaguer. And, and so I began drinking even in high school. Uh, my drinking got a lot worse. Uh, my carousing, my uh, you know having a girlfriend in every town in the big leagues. Uh, it really was a life of pure um, hedonism, pure pleasure, and it was my god. Well, I was I was my god, and uh, you know that's uh, that's how I lived for about the first so four or five years of my big league career, and it was also the reason that I ended up hurting my arm. A second time because I would stay out really all hours of the night uh, for about most of the most of the week, and then the night before I was to pitch, I would take care of myself, and that that lifestyle uh, felt caught up with me, and I, I drastically I really hurt my arm so much so that uh, I thought my career was over. Wow, wow! So Frank, you may not even remember this. The first time I remember meeting you, um, we may have met briefly before at some walk through the Bible events. But the first time I remember mm-hmm. meeting you was at a, at a cabin of a mutual friend on a Labor Day weekend. And I had, you all were having a, a party there about 30 or 40 people. And, and um, I was speaking someplace at a conference center on the Western part of Michigan. And some people had said, well, why, why don't you drive by? Come, come by. You can, you can meet some more people. And I went, ah, that sounds great. And <laughs> Again, I was a crazy baseball fan, grew up as a Cardinal fan, didn't follow the American League as closely, but mm-hmm. but still knew baseball and, you know, knew, knew your name. And I walked in and you all had all eaten lunch and, um, you know, you were well into dessert and just talking. And I walked in and, and, you know, it's like, oh, there's plenty of food left over. And I started to get it. And you probably don't even remember this, but you jumped up out of your chair and you went, you don't want a cold burger. Those have been sitting there for a couple hours. And, and I'm like, no, that's fine. They're fine. I'll, I'll microwave it. And you're like, no, let me cook you a fresh burger. And then you kind of looked at me and you went, you look like a two burger guy. And I'm throwing two on the grill. Grab your other stuff and I'll bring it to you. And um, that just, I mean, it wasn't even your house. You didn't have to play that role. 
And I, I thought I can remember thinking this of this is not the Frank Tanana I grew up hearing about who would, you, you know, wasn't hesitant to being another player and and certainly very outspoken on your opinions. And I'm like, how in the world did this turn into an extremely nice guy and an yeah. and actual servant? So, I mean, we, you, we, do you even remember that? Probably you don't, do you? Because it, it wasn't a big deal to you because you probably did stuff like that all the time. But to me, that was shocking. So, well, go ahead. <laughs> you go ahead. You're the guest. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it's just, it's, uh, you know, all the praise and glory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, because you know what he does to a, a heart again that uh, is his. And it's just great changes. Great changes take place uh, in a person's life. That's what our God does. He, he changes people. He gives us a brand new start, a brand new heart, uh, new attitudes. And, you know, I had, I had come to Christ uh, back in 1983. And it's just been an amazing transformation from that person that I just told you about to now one who, by God's grace, loves God and uh, and loves people, and it's just uh, very exciting to to uh, it is beyond exciting. It is just miraculous and amazing uh, what God can do uh, when He's in control. So I don't want to bump bump you off of that path because that's the that's the pay dirt of this interview, as far as I'm concerned. Um, that's why that's why we're starting step into the story to explore the intersection of your story and God's story. Uh, because we really do believe it's the Bible that changes everything. But I, I do want to go back a little bit because before you met Jesus in 83, in mm -hmm. 1977, uh, you met Kathy, who's also a dear friend and actually a board member with us at Walk Through the Bible. Um, tell me, was that was that love at first sight? And was it mutual, or um, were you just both in love with the same man, and so that gave you something in common? Or, <laughs> well, you said love at first sight. It really was lust at first sight. <laughs> I get that. It, yep, is what it, it was. What it was, and uh, we wonderfully. She said yes to going out on a date, and uh, about uh, oh eight months into it, into, into our dating. He says to me, Frank, I'm not going to go through another uh, year as, as one of your girlfriends. So either we, you know, I said, you know, I said, okay, so either we break up or we get married. And she kind of touched her nose and said, bingo, that's kind of how it's got to roll. And so I, um, you know, after living that, that, that lifestyle of, uh, you know, many women, to be true, to be honest, uh, I was ready. Uh, it had gotten old, and I had now met this wonderful girl that I did fall madly in love with and knew that uh, I just wanted to, uh, to spend the rest of my life with her, wanted to make her my wife, and she wonderfully said yes. And so practically to the day, a year to the day we met, we, uh, we got married. So what was different about her than all the other girls you were dating? The difference was uh, she had a confidence about her. Uh, she knew what she wanted. She knew where she was going, and I wasn't—I uh, was going to be a part of it if I—if I, you know, wanted to make a commitment. But 
So just that that air of confidence that really won me over. Plus, you know, she's beautiful and has, has great character. But it was that um, that confidence uh, about her. She didn't take any of my stuff. She wasn't overly enthralled with me and, and my position and, and all of that in baseball. Um, and, I, and all of that just worked to, uh, to really help me, to make me fall in love with her. Mm, that's so cool. So you're married five or six years. And then um, you already mentioned in 1983, trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. What was the, what was the backstory to that? Well, the backstory to that, it's, it's really interesting. I had uh, gone to a Bible study at, in 1978 with uh, Kathy, and uh, she wanted to go, and, and, and she was very interested in the Bible. And at that time, I had a, my arm was sore. Um, I was newly married, obviously, to Kath. And Lyman Bostock, a teammate of mine, got shot and killed in Gary, Indiana. And so, and I'd also uh, became acquainted and friends with our chaplain, a fellow by the name of John Warehouse. So with all of that going on, when Kathy says to me, let's go to this Bible study, um, and John had presented the gospel to me at a luncheon before this time, and I had never heard the gospel. I was a religious guy and thought that I was a Christian. I'd gone to church a lot. But uh, John shared with me the, the plan of salvation and asked me if I wanted to become a Christian. I said, no, not, uh, you're a Christian your way. I'll be a Christian my way. And let's just leave it at that. And so Kathy says, let's go to this Bible study with uh, John and his wife, Kay, and other couples. And I said, uh, yeah, let's do it. Um, I wasn't all that interested, but I wanted to, uh, you know, please Kath. And I thought, hey, if I go to this Bible study, maybe I'll get a more chance for me and I'll be able to play more golf. So I went with all the right <laughs> motives. My, my motives yeah. were pure, as you can see, Phil. But anyways, it was at this Bible study that um, John presented the gospel and Kathy came to genuine faith in Christ. Um, I had also heard, you know, that here's this prayer that you can pray and so I prayed that prayer, but my heart really wasn't in it. I had prayed a lot in the in this religion that I had grown up in. And we had these rote prayers, and you would pray them. And, you know, so I prayed this prayer thinking, oh, oh good, I got that covered. You know, if I die, I'll go to heaven. Uh, I don't want to go to hell. So I'll just pray this prayer and, and go to heaven. And I also told God three things, Phil. I said, I'm not going to become a Jesus freak. I'm not going to become poor. I had signed a big contract, a lot of money. And I said, I'm not going to become poor. I'll give you some, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to become poor. And I'm not going to Africa. I don't want to be a missionary. I just want to play baseball. And so, you know, I'm just so thankful that God is patient and he's gracious. And he just didn't fry me and zap me and take me out right there, Phil, because you know, here, who I was still that cocky kid, even before God, just telling them what I was going to do and how this was going to work. And, and so, but I did begin to um, read the Bible. I did begin to go to uh, worship services with Kathy. I would read it on my own at, on, on the road. I would go to chapel on Sunday and wonderfully through the next five years, 
uh, as I gained the Bible knowledge, as I spent time in the Word of God, it began to obviously get a hold of me. And a couple of passages that God really used to bring me to himself was the passage at the uh, end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, I believe it is, where Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? We healed in your name. We did all of this in your name. And then Jesus looks at him and says, Depart from me. I never knew you. It's a scary and, verse, isn't it? Oh, my wow. goodness. Well, it scared me right into his arms. Mm. And then the other verse is uh, James 2.19, where it says, You believe that God is one, you do well, but the demons also believe. And they shudder. And so from those verses, and God just, again, because I was in the Word of God and reading it, it just, his, his spirit began to move to where I said to Kathy, I said, honey, we got to go to this Christian conference, a PAO, Pro Athletes Outreach Conference, uh, this fall. And so we went, and it was at that conference, after five days of teaching, um, that I, again, alone in my hotel room on November 6, 1983, just had a very... uh, encounter with God. I liken it to really Paul on the road to Damascus. I mean, God's presence was that strong with me in that room as I I just realized uh, who he was and who I was, who he is and who I was. And wow, all that Jesus had done for me and how I did not deserve it and just the conviction of the spirit. And so I just laid it out uh, before God. I said, you know, no, 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 I'm not making anything, telling you what to do. I just I just need you in my life. I need you to be my Lord. I need you to be my Savior. I'm sorry for my sins, the way I've, I've, I've lived my life. I mean, tears are just, I'm falling, Phil. It is just a complete brokenness of, of me. And, I mean, I can't, again, God just came into my life in a, in a profound way that, uh, since that day, I've just been a follower and a lover of Jesus Christ. So that story to me is, is so compelling. And, um, just, just hearing you describe the change in your life over time. Um, I know now you and Kathy have how many kids and how many grandkids? Yeah, God has blessed us. We have four married daughters. And 14 grandchildren. Wow. And what is this event that is held at your house each summer that uh, you just recently survived? (laughs) It's the invasion of the Tanana clan from all over the country. Uh, Family lives in Dallas. They come in. Two families live in the Chicago area. They come in. And for a couple weeks, the 24 of us just uh, live life. And I got to tell you, Phil, the highlight of those times are the evenings where one of my son-in-laws is, is, a, is a pastor and he's also a musician. And he brings his guitar and we just sit around and we sing praise songs to the Lord. We pray together, all of us as a family. And I mean, it's again, it's just tears uh, as I watch and I just see what God is doing. Uh, in our family, uh, the, the, the joy really is inexpressible. Mm. You know, as you were describing 
Um, all right, Jesus, I will say yes to you, but here's the terms of my contract. And mm-hmm. and you had you had those three clauses. I I see a bumper sticker every now and then. You've probably seen it too that that says God is my co-pilot. And uh, mm-hmm. you know that you you brought him on board. You know, back mm-hmm. in 1978 as your co-pilot. But I, I saw a different bumper sticker. Don't see this one as often. It says Thank if God you. is your co-pilot, trade seats. And that is the story of your life. It's not just, oh, good, I've got an insurance policy. Um, when I die, I know where I'm going. But what about this life? And I guess my question is, what what has led to the little, almost imperceptible changes that ultimately, you know, end up with I don't even recognize this person. Kathy's saying, this is not the same man that I married. Me going, why is this guy cooking me burgers when he, you know, used to bean people with the baseball? Um, what's your daily pattern that that helps you continue to grow and develop? Mm. Well, uh, you know, first of all, going back to that co-pilot stuff, I think it's important for, again, all of us to know that we come to God on his terms. We don't come to God on our terms. We, we just, we can't, we think, I think it's the sinfulness of man that makes us think we can add God to our lives and, and go on and live life kind of the way we want to. Um, I think it's really one of Satan's uh, great strategies because I, I, I just really believe Phil, that God is, he's the pilot. Mm. He is the Lord. He is the savior. And we, we either surrender entirely or we really haven't surrendered at all. And so I just really would like our listeners, I think, to understand that. And secondly, when I got saved back in 1983, I, I met a man by the name of Doug Sherman and Doug Sherman, um, got me discipled. He spent time with me. He taught me how to read the scriptures. He taught me with the scriptures to, to read it, to hear it, to speak it, to, um, to sing it, to meditate on it. And I think one of the most important things was to memorize it, to hide God's word in my heart. And so for the last uh, wow, 37 years. Uh, Doug had me still memorizing James, the book of James, memorizing Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Colossians, things like that. And so I think if by doing that um, and just, again, focusing on Christ and his will for my life and looking at the Bible and, and seeing what he wants me to do, you know, in my own life, in the, in my church, going to work, church, going to work, going to, in my family, with my wife, with my kids and, and orchestrating my life around his word has just proven just a phenomenal blessing. And so my daily time, of course, the most precious time to me is when I get to open up God's word, I get to sit at the Lord's feet. I get to have him speak to me. I pray back to him what I've read. I then can intercede for people uh, that I love, uh, um, praying for my family and those in my thing, praying for people that don't know Christ. So there's just a wonderful um, daily routine 
um, I absolutely love and wouldn't change for the world. Mm, that's so cool. You challenged me with what you're just saying there. You know, I'm, I mean, my job is to be around the Bible all the time. And uh, I mean, you just challenged me in a fresh way that I better not be trying to export something that I'm not first of all experiencing. So exactly our vision for this podcast is somebody sharing where their story was interrupted by God's story, where they found their true story in God's story. And Frank, I can't imagine a better first guest than you. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for just really opening up about the good times and the bad times. And um, I sure appreciate you, my friend. Well, buddy, you know, I appreciate you and all your work uh, that you're doing for Christ in his kingdom. And know that uh, Kath and I love you guys a lot. All right. Talk to you soon, my friend. All right, buddy. Thanks. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that at least half as much as I did. What a great conversation with Frank. That is exactly our goal is for somebody to share their story and how their story was impacted by God's story. And Frank sure brought that home. That's exactly our goal each time in Step Into the Story is, is to present how the Bible changes everything. And this is going to be a regular offering. So I look forward to joining you next time on Step Into the Story. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast powered by Walk Through the Bible. We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk Through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.